Welcome to the Western Banshee. Comedy created by Dylan Rankin. Money can solve a lot of problems, probably most of the problems in most people's lives, but it clearly isn't the answer to everything. Look at all the examples of people who've had millions upon millions of pounds and fucked it all up through sheer boredom it would seem. They've done everything money can buy numerous times over and end up so miserable and numb that they'd permit you to open their arse with a Doc Martin boot and javelin their cavity with a parasitic barnacle like a larded up fuckpop celebrating 10 years hard grind in a Siberian fisting shed. It's like whenever you see an interview on TV or in a magazine with a dominatrix mistress, they're always talking about their clientele being just that. Bored, super rich CEOs and hedge fund managers that just love being humiliated and getting the shit beat out of them as they hunch over on a set of restraints with a ball gag in their mouth. Surely, before they've got to this point, the guys paying for this must have already burnt through a whole heap of cash redlining it as an adrenaline junkie, binging on gambling and partying sports cars the lot, before it would even spring to their mind that instead of a nice steak and a blowjob, it's taking your fancy to have a tubby cat woman paddle your groin and stub a cigarette out in your asshole. But then again, maybe it's all just a ruse. Maybe the stories that these dominatrix mistresses are regurgitating in TV interviews, maybe it's not like that at all. What if their clientele weren't high rollers? What if their clientele were, in reality, mostly just blue-collar guys? It wouldn't come across as such a glamorous profession, would it? It's not likely that the dominatrix would just come out and say this. I once had a well-known second division footballer and the regional manager for Carpet Shed. But mostly it's just ex-squatties begging me to pull a plastic bag over their face and wank them into fish batter. Oi! Lick that plate clean, you fat bastard. If that was you, you'd want to glamorise that slightly. The retelling of that experience wouldn't seem quite as seedy if it took place in the presidential suite of a five-star hotel, with exotic truffles flanking the hallway. As the dominatrix, you'd want to brag about the times you were picked up by limo and fed expensive champagne, not the times you were wiping drool out of your ass crack at the travel lodge with your last tissue. Not the times you were posturing with a riding crop as your client dunked their sack into a freshly boiled kettle, straddling the thin line between a cardiac arrest and emptying their marbles onto the hotel room key. Not to mention all the chafing that must go on when you're dressed head to toe in rubber. I bet you can taste the smell when it's been peeled off at the end of the day. A stale bouquet of sweaty farts that have been marinating in an airtight, musty butt trench. But who am I to judge? Personal sovereignty and all that. As long as you're not hurting other people, you can spend your mountain of money on a dozen staff tasked solely with launching flasks of bovril up your butt. It's simply not my business. You see, the thing about having a shitload of money is that you must get to a point where you've got so much of it that the majority of your time is spent sitting on a sublime beach in the sun with a cocktail. But when you're sitting there on the hot sand gazing out at the water... It doesn't matter if you're Richard Branson and you own the flipping island, or if you're on your bi-yearly holiday to Spain for a week. The luxury that you're both feeling at that moment, while you're sitting there on the sand absorbing nature, chilling the fuck out, is the same. In fact, you're more likely to get a nice wee pervin if you're on a public beach rather than your own private island. That's where Branson shot himself in the foot. 
Richard Branson will be staring at the same set of baps all day. Branson probably wakes up from his wee doze on the beach at sunset, his loose cotton white shirt flapping in the breeze. He looks down towards the waves breaking on the sand, rubbing the sleep out of his eyes and thinks, Crikey, who's that sexy silhouette I see in the distance? Oh wait, it'll be my fucking wife again. Like it has been the last 50 times I've woken up. Or worse, it's one of my fucking kids. In which case I'm going to have to pop this hard on under my belt and deal with it later. But one of the best things about being someone like Richard Branson would be getting access to the best seats in the house wherever you go. Exclusive backstage access, even hobnobbing with the athletes at posh sporting events, tennis tournaments and the like. And if Branson is attending tennis tournaments like Wimbledon, drinking spritzers with Serena Williams and Andy Murray, I bet he makes a beeline straight for Novak Djokovic as soon as he steps foot in the place just to get a close-up inspection of his hair. Because people are worrying about athletes blood doping and using TRT, testosterone replacement therapy, but I think we should be concentrating on something far more disturbing than that. The unobtainable advantage that Novak Djokovic has over his competition. Let me explain. Novak Djokovic's hair is suspicious. His extremely short, almost velcro-like buzz cut looks like it's made out of tennis ball material. So isn't it more than a coincidence that he just happens to be one of the top five tennis players in the world? If he is, in fact, half tennis ball, is that not cheating? If his mum's a Dunlop? You can't compete with that. What if his mother also gave birth to him on a clay surface? You might as well hand him the big shiny dinner plate, pack up and fuck off home. Don't get me wrong, I do enjoy watching a drop of tennis. But the Wimbledon tennis tournament has this creepy church vibe about it. This weird religious formality about everything. It's like all the ball boys have been systematically brainwashed. They're like little Pinocchio children. Something's off about them. I actually feel worst of all for the spectators, queuing up for days, even camping out ahead of time, just to get a seat outside the courts on Henman Hill to watch the tennis on the big cinema screen there. Not because they'll have to brave the shit British weather without any cover but because they'll be sitting on a pile of dead cunts. Meter upon meter of dead ball boys dating back to the 1900s, ball boys that dared to disobey, dared to question the tradition and formality of the Wimbledon Tennis Club, so the board of directors made them pay with their barely pubic lives and buried them there, stacked on top of each other like a fucked up game of corpse Jenga. And the poor British public are sitting on top of them, separated only by a thin veneer of turf, spreading brie and eating strawberries in the rain, oblivious to it all, like a bunch of dicks. The Wimbledon website states that every time a ball boy fails the secret after hours test set out by the tennis club, he's a goner. And from what I can make out on their site, it alludes to the poor ball boy being thrown into a pitch black room surrounded by bright orange tennis balls dangling from the ceiling at various heights, and he's tasked with repeatedly punching the only two fluorescent yellow tennis balls in the room, which have coincidentally been painted onto the ball bag of the club president, and they are to continue to do so until they hear a strained groan followed by half a thimble's worth of dead sperm falling from an exhausted set of testicles onto the 100% perennial ryegrass below. But at least they're not hosting after-hours piss-drinking heroin raves like I imagine happens after a motocross event in Kentucky or at a Hollywood rap party. The only piss-drinking that happens at Wimbledon is when old Albert's dementia kicks in and his adult diaper gets an enthusiastic windmilling. Not a pretty sight, I'd imagine. And certainly not something that would be tolerated at a live televised event, like the Oscars or the Grammys. Even with 80% of the room bouncing their heads off the back of their chair fucked up on prescription pills. At best, 
At worst, they'll be reaching up the arm of their tuxedo to scrape off the crocodilla scabs. It's weird. These people should be in the prime of their life, financially, health-wise. And half of them are wearing sunglasses because their eyes are rolling back in their head as they barely grasp onto consciousness with a dick you could fold over and thumb into a Smarties tube, drooling onto their female co-star's lap, and she's just as bad, living on a diet of celery and bee pollen shots, freaking out that she's passed it at 24, Botoxing on the reg, looking like Megan Fox with a tit job and her flaps cut, or Kate Moss with a realistic arse. Every chat show she goes on she gets a standing ovation because her PR company paid for her to get papped by the gutter press eating a fucking cheeseburger like a real girl. Fuck me, it sounds exhausting. But financially, she'll be lording it, with barista calibre coffees and moistened croissants daily. And it's those low-scale luxuries, the moistened croissants of this world, those little pleasures in life that you've got to relish. Just think of all those ancient cultures throughout history that have existed for hundreds or thousands of years. But even their richest, most powerful citizens, awash with servants and slaves, did not have anywhere near the variety of exotic food and drink now available to us from all over the globe. That's never more than a stone's throw away from your home. Now you can have Mexican Monday, Thai Thursday and sushi on Saturday like a flipping gent. Now you can lie back with your feet up and stream music spanning hundreds of years from every corner of the earth while sipping a bottle of red wine from the continent of your choice using your preferred variety of grape with an assorted board of cured meats and cheeses followed by an international cuisine developed and refined over generations, thousands of miles from where you're sitting. And we should all enjoy this while we can. Because it may not be like this forever. Just like ancient cultures before us, our modern way of living could all just end. As improbable as that seems just now. I mean, do you think at their height the Romans thought their empire would crumble? Nowadays our biggest threat is ourselves. It's either going to be ourselves that bring about our own downfall and send us all back to the Dark Ages, or it's going to be invading aliens. Our planet could be boarded like Captain Phillips. We're Tom Hanks, and the Somali pirates are probably going to be played by albino xenomorphs with big bug eyes, laser cannons, and inflamed barbed horse cocks. After the majority of us are annihilated, the last insignificant remnants of humanity will be tossed out into the wilderness with all the other animals, like posh monkeys. Posh monkeys that are hunted every so often for trying to fire rockets at the aliens while they're chilling out watching alien TV or whatnot. And the alien hunts wouldn't be pretty either, especially in the first few months after the invasion. There's always that feeling out period when you hunt an unfamiliar species for the first time. You start off using ammunition that's too small and only maiming the prey, in this case, a shrieking human. Then you overcompensate for that and start using weapons that are ten times too big for killing a human. And they end up blowing the poor sod into little bloody, bony, urine-soaked splinters of wet artery, leaving the aliens no human skull to drink their fermented intergalactic bootleg moonshine gloop out of, which is a wee shame. But imagine what we would do to another planet if they had some resources we needed. Trade? My arse. We'd be dipping their eyeballs in soy sauce but a fortnight after we've hoovered up all their H2O and ripped up their landscape for minerals. Then we'd probably stuff them all in a cage and spend millions on propaganda to convince people that they're a terror threat and it's for their own good. Even if the aliens looked like Boo, the world's cutest dog, and dressed themselves up in bespoke loungewear, even then we'd view those wee alien teeth as lethal weapons, and we'd have to file them down to blunt nubs. You know, so they're 100% docile and 100% governable. Plus, we can't have them scaring the kids now, can we? 
Hi, this is Dylan. Hope you enjoyed the Wisdom Banshee and thank you for supporting my unique strain of fermented comedy, brought to you as an unrestricted independent artist. If you enjoyed this comical joint, there is much more to come. In the pipeline is another comedy journey like the Wisdom Banshee and Swamp Eyes, the final two episodes of From the Warpath, my comical drama series, and another comedy rap mixtape called Grand Pappy's Recipe. Remember, if you're having a shit day, Dylan Rankin's fermented comedy is always here to put a smile on your face. Always affordable and always fermented. Cheers.